This is John DeFalb from John Sandow's Bookshop in Chelsea, London. Many of you will know that I spent time during lockdown a few months ago on a series of readings from the work of that great master of merriment, P.G. Woodhouse. To me, at least, they were a valuable antidote to some of the anxieties of those months. It was therefore with joy that I unveiled a proof of Ben Schott's new Jeeves and the Leap of Faith a few weeks ago. Those of you who are familiar with his first homage to Plum, Jeeves and the King of Clubs, will know that his act is a worthy successor. And I can tell you that this new one is an absolute corker. Beware if you need to keep serious, for you will crumple. I approached the amiable author with the idea that I should read the whole book in instalments. Like Bertie Wooster, he was ready for anything. But something in his Gulbenkian publishing contract means that we can only do 10%. So we have chosen some extracts. The first two will come today, after an introduction from the great Ben Schott himself. The others will follow in a few days' time, in a separate podcast. So thank you, Ben, for writing this exquisite piece of entertainment and joining me now. Thank you, John. It's an honour to be on the podcast of John Sandoz, one of the most truly spiffing bookshops in the world. And it's a pleasure to discuss P.G. Woodhouse and my second homage to him, Jeeves and the Leap of Faith. But perhaps I should step back a moment and explain how it all started. Unlikely as it may seem, Jeeves and the King of Clubs was inspired, like so many things these days, by Donald Trump. Or rather by Trump's former butler, who, in 2016 suggested that President Barack Obama be assassinated. Now, it's not often that butlers hit the headlines, I'm sorry to say. And as I read this bizarre story, my first thought was, what would Jeeves say? In turn, this inspired me to write a short story for The Spectator, in which Donald Trump arrives as a guest at Brinkley Court, and Bertie has to play him at croquet and deliberately throw the match. The response to this whimsical jeu d'esprit was unexpectedly positive. And it set the old noggin whirring. Might there be an appetite for a brand new Jeeves and Worcester book? And, if so, how might it be different from the 35 short stories and 11 novels already in print? I did not think a young Bertie novel would work. Why, after all, would a schoolboy have a gentleman's personal gentleman? And would he really be able to smoke and drink and lounge in the club? And what of his parents? And what of the Great War? Equally, I bridled at the idea of a modern-day, 21st-century Bertie. After all, who would want to bask in the activities of a brash, contemporary one-percenter? My leap was to twist the Worcester universe five degrees to starboard and turn the story into a spy caper. To my amazement and delight, the Woodhouse estate, headed by Sir Edward Cazalet, Plum's step-grandson, agreed, and they bestowed on the book their blessing. The central premise of both of my books is that Jeeves's club of butlers and valets and gentlemen's personal gentlemen, the junior Ganymede, is actually a branch of the British Secret Service. So you see, Mr Worcester, says Lord McCausland during the book, the junior Ganymede leads a double life. It remains a genuine social club for those in the upper echelons of service, but it is also a conduit of unique intelligence to His Majesty's government. I was quite simply agog. You mean to say there's a gang of butlers and valets roaming the halls, sniffing out secrets like the Baker Street Irregulars? 
Bertie, of course, takes to espionage like a D to W, and the ensuing escapades in Jeeves and the King of Clubs take the duo from the sunlit lawns of Brinkley Court to the oak-panelled sanctity of London's clubland. Jeeves and the Leap of Faith takes place in Mayfair, of course, but also Cambridge University and Newmarket races. In this new book, we encounter a joyous cast of characters new and old, chiselling painters and criminal bookies, eccentric philosophers and dodgy clairvoyants, appalling poets and pocket dictators, vexatious aunts and their vicious hounds. But that's not all. Who is Iceberg and why is he covered in chalk? Why is Jeeves reading Winnie the Pooh? What is Seven Across and Eighty-Five Down? How do you play Russian roulette at the Savoy? All these questions and more are answered in Jeeves and the Leap of Faith, essential reading for fans of The Master. Jeeves, I hollered springing through the timber of 3A Barclay Mansions. Good evening, sir, my man replied, emerging as is his habit from out of the jungle mists. We've cracked it. Sir? The crossword. Very good, sir. The Times crossword. I was not aware the Sporting Times carried a crossword, sir. The Times, Jeeves. I see, sir. He paused. When you say we, sir, we means me, plus the massed ranks of the membership committee. I don't think I've seen that rabble so intently focused since we disguised Bingo Little as a postman to steal Graydon Hogg's mail. I recall that episode keenly, sir. We both stared down at the carpet in sombre reflection. Anyway, I've spent a long and arduous luncheon deciphering this. I held the paper aloft. He looked surprised. The entire crossword, sir. Heavens no, just fourteen down. Loot, sir. You've done it? Yes, sir. The whole bally box? Naturally, sir. I find it is an engaging way to pass the time while your eggs are boiling or your bath is running, whichever is the shorter. And you memorise them? That would imply too active an effort, sir, though I tend to recall them for a time. This all seemed highly unlikely, even for one with so capacious a hat size, and so I unfolded the paper and put him to the test. Seven down. Death before a hundred is dry enough. Demisec, sir. Demisec, sir? Doesn't fit. Doesn't even make sense. Forgive me, sir. Demisec, sir. Uh, demise, meaning death, before C, the Roman numeral for a hundred, giving demi-sec, which is dry enough. Like the champagne. Oh, clever. All right, let's see. Twenty-three across, exhaling very, very loudly during exercise. Puffed, sir. It's no use puffing, Jeeves. That's what it says here. Forgive me, sir, you misapprehend. The answer is P-F-F-F-T. How on earth do you fathom that? It was, according to Jeeves, embarrassingly simple. The musical term for very, very loudly is fortissimo, 
the abbreviation of which is FFF, and this occurs during, that is to say, in the middle of exercise, as represented by the abbreviation for physical training, PT. Is PFFFT even a word? A degree of latitude is commonly allowed for onomatopoeia, sir. Oh, is it now? And what about 31 down? Short dash to attempt admission. Five letters. Well, sir, a hold your ponies. I'm determined to unriddle this sphinx alone. But can you ensure they start delivering a second copy of the Times? Very good, sir. He brushed an invisible mote of dust from his sleeve. Incidentally, sir, the decorators are here. Enlightenment in the next passage depends on three items of information. 1. Presented with a variety of wallpaper samples by the decorators mentioned by Jeeves, who have come to upspith his bedroom, Bertie has selected the Jorrocks, Jaunts and Jollities design instead of the periwinkle chevron, which Jeeves has helpfully bookmarked for Bertie's attention and especially commends. 2. The finances of the drones are in disarray, and the investment committee headed by Boko have asked Bertie to put the £100,000 problem to Jeeves. 3. A telegram is propped against Bertie's porcelain bust of W.G. Grace that reads, Will K.C. and A.H. meet 9D tomorrow, 10.30, Albany? No man can awake to glad, confident morning when Reginald Jeeves is upset. By his coolness of tone as he wished me good morning and his briskness of manner as he set down my tea, I knew with dark foreboding that a price would be paid for my periwinkle rebellion. Indeed, as I shaded my eyes from the abruptly drawn curtains, I began to wonder if I had seriously goofed. A fleeting victory was all W and G, but what if this proved the final straw, camel-wise, for a valued retainer who, lest we forget, once threw in the towel when I was briefly bewitched by the twang of the banjolele. The Entente was still pretty uncordial as I sat down to breakfast, though to be fair Jeeves had not permitted his manifest annoyance to diminish his standards one jot. The eggs were soft, the bacon was crisp, the kedgeree was spiced to perfection, and, as requested, there was a freshly ironed copy of the Times folded open to the crossword, with a pencil honed, ready for war. I attempted to spark a glimmer of warmth. I see we've been summoned to a meeting. Yes, sir. With 9D? Indeed, sir. That is Albany Diggs. So I gather, sir. Hmm, intriguing, eh? He evidently considered the question beneath his dignity, so I changed tack. We done today's puzzle? No, sir. Splendid. I reached for the paper. We can tackle it together. If you insist, sir. Now, let's see. One across. Upset ear doctor, one who changes rooms. Nine letters. Hmm, any ideas? Decorator, sir. It is an anagram, sir, an upset of the words ear and doctor, which gives decorator 
one who changes rooms. Well, it fits. And it means three down starts with an R. Nasty vicar's lot, drunk with gin. Nine letters. I tapped my pencil. Thoughts? Revolting, sir. Oh, jolly good. I ignored his tone. What about twenty-four down? Fake father, I hear, is tactless in France. Four, three. Rude something, perhaps. Rude man? Faux pas, sir. Staring down at the pencilled-in words, decorator, revolting, faux pas, I couldn't help but notice a theme. Had Jeeves, the thought flashed across my mind, somehow infiltrated the setting of the Times crossword to vent his indignation? The idea was outlandish, to be sure, but the man does move in the most mysterious ways. After a number of increasingly insulting solutions, repugnant, fat-headed, reptile, the frost began slightly to melt, and so I decided to broach the dilemma that had been nagging me since last night's encounter with Boko. Jeeves, I said, spinning my pencil in a chummy sort of a way, the drones club needs your help. Indeed, sir. I set out the position in as much detail as I could remember, placing appropriate stress on the hundred grand bill and the time scale of less than a week. Then, having lit the blue touch paper of the man's pyrotechnic brain, I sat back to ooh and ah. Squibs don't come much damper. I'm sorry to say, sir, that nothing immediately suggests itself. Nothing? No, sir. Nothing will come of nothing, Jeeves. Speak again. I'm sorry, sir. Jeeves's mind is so composed that something always suggests itself, and it was evident that his pique was not to be easily pacified. If I knew my man, and know him I did, he would work to rule like a union foreman until management caved in to his terms. There was only one way out of this cul-de-sac. So I poured myself a hot spot of tea to wet the old whistle before eating my words. Changing the subject entirely, Jeeves. Sir? I've been having second thoughts about the wallpaper. He perked up. Indeed, sir. Jorrocks might be a tad agricultural for the bedroom, and perhaps I do require something more soothingly chevron. Jeeves permitted himself the riotous twitch of the eyebrow. I am most grateful, sir. I shall telephone Dix and Rudge directly after breakfast. There was a diplomatic pause. Returning, sir, to the earlier question of the Drones Club finances, one thought does now occur to me. The book, by the way, Jeeves and the Leap of Faith, is available from John Sandoz at 1899. Ben Schott remains in New York by force of circumstance, but he has kindly signed some of our book plates for us, which we have glued as carefully as possible inside the books. Thank you for listening. I'll be back again next week with two more extracts. <laughs>